Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Hello everybody and welcome to a special programme here on the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels. I'm John Hindhoff. We are near enough the start of a new motor racing season for Formula cars and particularly for Formula E. The uh, 2021 season is just a few days away. So perfect opportunity for us to take a look at the ABB Formula E FIA World Championship season. First time we've been able to say that. Uh, joining me today, uh, we'll speak to Alexander Sims in a moment, but first of all, uh, from the race, here's Sam Smith. Sam, exciting new season, World Championship season for ABB Formula E. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. Very much so. Yes, it is. World Championship. So that's the, the first clue. It's uh, it's always been a global championship to, to some extent, but now it's got the official seal of approval from the FIA so it goes up another level and uh, yeah it's, it's going to be as close and as exciting as ever so looking forward to Saudi Arabia in, in just a couple of weeks time it's uh, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, the, the order because so far trying to trying to even guess one has been you know not the work of a moment let's put it that way no indeed asterisks around quite a lot and indeed the whole season not quite yet uh, been released by the ABB Formula E uh, World Championship uh, uh, organisers uh, we're still waiting for uh, a few dates and some uh, intervention potentially from uh, the World Motorsport Council or at least ratification thereof. I promised you Alexander Sims. Alexander Sims is with us as well, perfectly socially distanced. Alexander, welcome to our preview here on the Radio Show Limited network of, of channels. World Championship, FIA World Championship, does that make a difference to you as a driver? I mean, it's, um, first of all, hi guys, how are you doing? Um... It's it's pretty cool to start with um, to be competing in an FIA World Championship. Um, I mean, I haven't done that since the karting days. So um, yeah, I mean, to, to to have Formula E up there with Formula One as a an official World Championship is, I think, f- fitting of it, its its situation in in world motorsport nowadays. Um, and shows the journey that it's gone on uh, since its inception. But um, it's, a, it's a bit of an odd one in the sense that from a day-to-day perspective, for, for me as a driver, it doesn't change anything. Um, but I think for everyone involved to be able to talk about it as, yes, an official world mm. championship, I think it's uh, very beneficial. I wonder if there will be people who are listening now going, what? what? Not a, it wasn't a world championship before. I went, oh, OK. Because I do think that it picked up some, um, so much momentum so quickly in the, the opening seasons that a few people probably thought it was a world championship. And indeed it was and everything. But FIA nomenclature. Um, does that indicate the seriousness, though, with which the, the FIA, the 
Motorsports global body and indeed the manufacturers uh, are taking the championship and have been taking the championship in that it is now a, 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 an accredited FIA World Championship. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think actually in the last three or four years, there was that kind of golden summer in 2017 when Porsche, Audi and BMW in quick succession came into the championship. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, John Todd, President Todd has always described it as his kind of baby with with obviously Alejandro Gag, one of the, the co-founders of the championship. But it's it's grown so quickly that people assume that it was a world championship. And it's funny how many times Lucas Degrassi or Jean-Éric Verne say that they are world champions. I mean, technically, they're not. But, you know, we'll, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt on that one. I'm happy to say that they won a, a global championship, uh, even if somebody at the FIA might might give me a bit of, bit of stick for that. The good news is, uh, Alexander, if, if you can win this year, if you can win the championship, you get, you'll get, let's fingers crossed, you'll get A to be a world champion and B go to the FIA gala. So that would be a little bit of a change. A bit more of a change um, directly is you're wearing new team kit this year, uh, headed to Mahindra. You'll pair up there with uh, Alex Lynn uh, for this season. Uh, Mahindra, tell us a bit about that. Why, first of all, why the, why the move? Um, I mean, it's as with all these things with with moves in, in one's career, it's it's not down to one single reason. It's it's always a complexity of different, different thoughts, but... Um, I think the the overriding reason was, was probably having spoken to Dilbag and hearing the the passion that he had for the project that um, they were embarking on. I mean, they've been informed since the start, but they'd gone through a big transition um, away from uh, Campos effectively running the team um, a large amount to bringing it all in-house um, and they'd gone through a transition and Dilbag was, was, was um, yeah, explaining to me the, the, the plans for the future and ultimately it, it was something that I wanted to be a part of. Um, there were other factors involved. Um, they're 40 minutes away from my house, which it was a yeah that was a factor um i've got three kids and yeah. the prospect of actually being able to work more whilst spending more time at home started to become quite attractive um and yeah i guess i also probably would would like to stress that it was never anything that bmw did wrong as such for me it was it was just the way that the the situation um progressed and as talks went on around uh, the marrakesh round and then we went into lockdown it just it just started to feel like the right time for for a change of scenery to be honest um and now yeah having having worked with the team i've started to integrate really well with mahindra um using the simulator and things which i mean considering the the pandemic that we're in the the reality of being close to the workshop and not needing to fly to integrate with the team has been a huge, huge help. Um, and yeah, it, it's going, it's going very well so far. Mahindra, uh, uh, Alexander, a name perhaps that uh, isn't uh, as well known as 
for example, BMW. However, is a giant in terms of its uh, industrial group. Uh, it's huge, over 100 countries. It owns uh, now since 2015 Pininfarina, um, per, per, part of Persian Motorcycles, Ford India, uh, have a a joint venture with them, to which Mahindra have 51%, the the old BSA company as well. And um, as I say, in over 100 countries worldwide, this this is a global entity that builds a, a lot of cars for a lot of different markets and has really, as you said, came into uh, Formula E straight away because of its electric motor car um, aspirations beyond the, the markets that people would see their home markets in, in India and, and the rest of that area of the world. Absolutely. Um, that was something, you know, very initially uh, when considering the, the prospect, um, I spoke to my father and he does a lot of business in India. Um, and so he was honestly more aware of the sort of Mahindra group activities than, than I was. And yeah, when I you know you look into to what Mahindra does, and they seem to be involved in pretty much, yeah, <laughs> pretty much every sector of of of, of world business. Um, they're huge, huge. I think it's like a quarter of a million employees. Um, and so yeah, I think the the lack of brand awareness of Mahindra over in Europe um, is probably one of the reasons that they've come into Formula E as well is to, to try and grow the brand. Um, and obviously, yeah, the electrification journey that uh, they want to, to understand through the technical um, developments in Formula E um, for, for, yeah, their road car projects of the future. And some history as well, um, founded in, in 1945. So, uh, you know, over 75 years old now uh, as well. So, that makes perfect sense to me then, them being involved right from the start in, in Formula E. Um, it gives the opportunity for them to promote on a global, on a global platform, Alex. Um, let's talk about this season, 2021. Um, a new ZF-inspired power train. What difference does that make as far as you, the driver, uh, is concerned? Um. I mean, I haven't driven the, the previous generation powertrain or anything, so I don't have a huge amount to compare within Mahindra um, with the new powertrain. But I have been a part of the later stages of the development um, with ZF and Mahindra. And I've certainly witnessed the enthusiasm from ZF, the technical um, abilities that they have to um to design the powertrain and, and go through that initial development stage to to sign off all the software and the hardware to to make sure everything's working correctly through that whole process they they've been they've been fantastic to work with um the proof really is is on track performance in terms of how well that that development has gone um and and as we saw in valencia the the car package seemed to be pretty competitive, um, and yeah, it's it's a it's a great partnership. I think the the whole Mahindra team have mm. have really um, benefited from from working closely with ZF. Um, it's it's gone very well so far. 
you mentioned Valencia there, which is is perfect and leads on to my next question. There was testing in in Valencia uh, on the permanent circuit. Uh, the second Ricardo Tomo there, um, and in fact, Formula E will be going there for a race. Essentially, all right. I know that there's been, there was a short version of of Monte Carlo um, that's been used in the past, but but essentially, this is the first normal, in inverted commas, whatever normal is nowadays, uh, racing circuit that Formula E has been to. How's, how's that going to affect the product? Because it's, it's, it's not, it, it wasn't the original idea from, from the series. How's it going to affect the product? How's, how's it going to affect how we look at it? And are the cars better suited now, Alexander, to a, let's call it a traditional circuit, than they might have been in their earlier iterations? I think certainly the Gen 2 car is um, going to cope better with, with a, you know, a, a normal circuit, as, as we're saying, um, than, than yeah, the Gen 1 car. It's, it's got more power and more regen and you know, the whole package is at a higher performance level. Um, and the, the Gen 1 car, honestly, would have been left wanting a bit. You know, the, the track testing we did at Donington Park I did a couple of laps in a, a track test for Autosport um, back in season one, I think. And yeah, it's a bit strange, you know, driving driving that Gen, Gen 1 car around a big circuit. But um, still in Valencia, there will be some odd challenges, I think. Um, like what? Every season we, we have been to Valencia for pre-season testing, track limits turns out ah. to be... <laughs> A big issue. Um, the Formula E cars, because there's not so much aero, you can run them quite high in terms of ride height and not lose a huge amount of performance. So good. you quite quickly work out if you run them high, you can run all the curbs and <laughs> um, explore track limits. And I love the way you so, said yeah. explore track limits there. That's, well, that's you, driver you speak. See which ones... Uh, <laughs> you can get away with that's just the way everyone is isn't it you know if you can gain a tenth you gain a tenth and if it gets the car a bit dirty because you go over some mud then so be it but uh yeah i think policing that and and getting that so that it doesn't look silly on tv basically will be important because driving around sometimes it does get a bit silly um how wide we make the corners and that doesn't actually help formula e's goal i don't think to to make corners even wider than they they are naturally Mm. um but the two uh sort of preparation races that we've done i think have shown that it can actually be a really interesting race uh to be a part of and to watch because there are, there are quite long open straights um, and therefore we have to coast and regen a lot, which I totally understand for the sort of conventional motorsport purist might sound like it's a compromise and um, a bit odd to, to not be driving flat out. But it creates so much interesting overtaking and strategy um, because overtaking is relatively easy to attempt, not necessarily to, to achieve a, a a perfect overtake but you know there's lots of scope for people to stay flat out for a straight to try and overtake um obviously that comes at an energy disadvantage later in the race but um the the trial races that we've done in in the preseason tests have been pretty good fun to be a part really? of actually it's a it's a really interesting strategic strategic game that 
is still there on all the other races, but when you're only coasting for a couple of seconds rather than five or six seconds, yeah. the chances to to adapt your strategy reduce slightly. And and, and is that because Alexander the the, the the topography of a normal racing circuit allows you uh, to do that uh, and gain back some energy, save a bit of energy. I mean, it's in fairness, it's not it's not that different to any fuel-based formula. If you go back to Group C, back in what many people would call a golden age of, of endurance racing, that was a fuel-based formula. That was an energy-based formula, let's say. Um, so all, all we're doing here is, is asking you guys to do as much as you can with the energy that you've been given and those people who can manage that the best, therefore get the results. I, I, I don't, as an endurance fan, I think many of our listeners will say we, that they get that in, entirely. Well, yes, I think um, it's taking what we, I mean, still even in, say, IMSA, where your pit stops are quite often governed by fuel fill times. Um, there is fuel strategy currently still in endurance racing. Um, but as you say, probably going back to the Group C days, it was was, was more. Um, it's just that and some more, you know. Um, the The reason we have to, lift and coast and use regen is as you say to just make our energy go further um and use it in the most efficient way um and it's yeah it it just creates fascinating strategy um dynamics and it, it does push you as a driver to just have to think more and to try and understand more about what you're doing in the car rather than just driving flat out and not engaging your brain so much. Um, you have to consciously be thinking all the time of what you're doing here and now and how that's going to affect you on the next lap and in five, 10 laps time. And um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really, really interesting uh, process that one goes through as a driver. Sam Smith uh, still with us, of course. Uh, the thinking behind going to Valencia from the series point of view and actually having a a competitive uh, event that is um, I don't like the word U-turn because it's not right, but it's a re-evaluation of what the series has looked at in the past. I'll ask you the same question that I asked Alexander about it. Is you know why now and and one could say why Valencia, but obviously there's been plenty of testing there. Why is it a good time now to go to Valencia? Uh, with with the series, I, I think, in all fairness to the circuit, Ricardo Tormo, I don't think Formula E would choose to go to Valencia in normal normal times. It's it's a legacy of these uh, these very disruptive and, and difficult times everyone everyone is living through with the pandemic. That that's really what it is. If Formula E has a DNA, a rich DNA of racing on street tracks, and and that is one of the the key and integral parts of it from pretty much every angle, sporting, technical, uh, certainly commercial as well, because all the manufacturers like to showcase their wares in the city and take their um, their, their marketing and take their products into the city centres. Mm. I, I think what Alexander said there is really interesting in terms of the sporting spectacle. I think it's a little bit of a, a misunderstanding from the outside about Formula E. Yeah, it, it's not as quick as, as, as Formula 2. It's not as quick as probably 
Formula 3, but what it lacks for in outright speed, you ask any of the drivers, and I'm talking about seasoned pros such as Andre Lotterer, uh, Sam Bird, Sebastian Buemi, cerebral, cerebral, can't say that word, <laughs> from a brain power point of view. <laughs> How much from they the, are involved in, the, in, in that the, point of view. The, the capacity, the capacity that they have from using their, their brain and what they're doing lap after lap, corner after corner, is extraordinary. And it's all done with somebody in their, their ear roll um, <laughs> telling them their, what their energy levels are and them feeding back their, um, you know, their figures and using code words and... All that while they're going wheel to wheel, toe to toe with, like I said, people like like Lotter, which you know Alexander has has a previous experience. Well, of. <laughs> indeed, and as Alexander said, just how difficult it is to to plan and to to pass. I mean, I'll ask you that that question, Alexander. It's it's a fair point. And talking to some of your competitors, particularly those who have been involved in the the top. Uh, echelons of endurance racing with the hybrids that we had there which were tremendously uh, sophisticated and complicated there is almost a changing of the guard when the most sophisticated lmp1 hybrids came in because there was so much going on as well as as driving the car Uh, uh, just how busy are you in in the cockpit then as well as having to work out where you are on the track where you're going to turn in all right you're a pro racing driver that might be muscle memory but so much other stuff going on at, at the same time busy it's it's very busy um I, I would say the the peak challenge in terms of your your mental focus and um, mental agility is in is in the free practice sessions um that's it's pretty limited the track time you get at a race weekend um just one 45 minute session then a half hour session and that's it you're into qualifying um and in those sessions you need to practice your energy laps which you would do for your race um so your lifting and coasting are depends on the circuit but quite a, a decent amount um on a dusty track it's not rubbered in yet you then start doing some push laps to get a feeling for the car um, your tires are heating up. They have quite a low operating temperature, so you can't push and push and push. Normally, you need to have cool down laps. That again takes away the total amount of laps you can do to get a feeling for it. Um, you then need to practice your attack mode, which you go through the attack loop, and you can do one lap at two thirty-five kilowatts. Then you need to practice your one qualifying simulation, so your one lap at two fifty kilowatts. Um, Plus, you know, you want to make the standard setup changes. So you come in the pits a couple of times to to tweak the car setup. Um, You're going out to do your 250 kilowatt run normally at the end of the session when the tires are warm. So you need to factor in how the car will behave in qualifying on a cold set of tires um, and make adjustments accordingly. And it's just you're thinking all the time about every lap that you're going to do you're trying to analyze it, not read too much into some things and focus on other areas. And it's just, yeah, there's so much to consider. Um, pair that with then very short turnaround times between FP1 and FP2. And, and you're just, you, you always faced with a situation where you haven't got enough time to fully understand everything. And you just have to choose what the most important factors are. And 
ultimately wing it for <laughs> other areas and just and and that's i think one thing where formula e shows how much experience counts because i remember season five which was my first season in formula e and you're just faced with these situations where you kind of just have to make it up as you go at times in the race or in qualifying um if there's a red flag in practice and you don't get your 250 lap in you then go into qualifying a bit more blind yeah and and you've got to rely on feel you've got to rely on your intuition and experience and if you haven't got that experience to draw from I mean, you're lost. But doesn't that um, make it, in some ways, I know people will look at Formula E, and, and uh, Sam, I'll bring you in on this in a, in a moment after Alexander. A lot of people look at Formula E, and all they see is the things that aren't traditional motorsport, which they will s- somewhat critically say gimmicks. So things like the, let's call it the go faster loop, right? You know, people go, ah, this is, this is Super Mario. This is, I'm not into this. I'm not into this at all. But what we're talking about there, Alexander, is in some ways a return to more pure motor racing where the drivers make the difference and you've got to get up to speed super quickly. We're not taking three days to work out who's at the front of the grid and then, surprise, surprise, watching the person on pole drive away from the rest of the field, as they do in, in other forms of, of formula racing to a greater or lesser extent. We're asking the drivers to basically, and the teams, to roll the cars off the trucks, to get on the track, to get into it, and then let's go racing. And I, I find that quite pure. And you as a driver must relish that challenge, surely. When it when it all makes sense and goes well, yes. Um, I mean, I, I relish the challenge in terms of enjoying it. Sometimes it's uh, it leaves me a bit frustrated when you you look back and see all the things that went wrong. But um, that that's just inevitable with the the situation that you're faced with, as I've explained. You know yeah, the amount of things you much. need to get on top of. But um, no, I mean that that is part of the the beauty of Formula E. I mean, yes, there's all the technological side of it with the electrification that's being developed. Um, but I always like to stress that from a sporting point of view, Formula E is fascinating as well. And I think that's something that they've absolutely nailed because it's not just this is a racing series like all the others oh. and it's electric. Therefore, it's justified to be a world championship just through its sustainability credentials. Mm-hmm. Those are strong, you know, and it, it's a great thing that we're doing to develop that technology. But from a sporting point of view as well, there are so many aspects to it that mm-hmm. are really challenging, and really interesting um, to be involved in. And I think they improve the show at the end of the day for the fan at home as well. Uh, yeah, and let, let's not forget that, Sam. It is entertainment. It has to be. Motor racing in any of its forms uh, is vying with a whole lot of other things for people's time. Some other forms of motorsport, um, some other forms of sport, some more directly entertainment. But your thoughts on, on, on what I said there, Formula E as a pure and in some ways old-fashioned style of going motor racing where the drivers to a greater or lesser extent, have as much, if not more, input in their learning curve every race weekend as the machinery does. Yeah, that's definitely a factor. I think um, I always, when I speak to people who are naysayers or people who hark back to the old days or think it was better back then, you know, I'm, you know, me, John, we've known each other for a long time and I love a Lola T70 or a 
Porsche 917 as much as any person, and, and, and I always will. But it's not the here and now. The here and now is is something like Formula E, uh, is something like it was in um, in ITC in the nineties or whatever the next new thing is. And yeah. and this this is has a permanency though. This actually will you know does cross over and will mean more to people in the future because certainly electric vehicles um, are, are you know are being bought in in ever bigger figures. Sportingly, as Alexander mentioned. It's it's got some genius things in it. I mean, the, one of the things which actually makes it, and why you don't get this drudge of a hierarchy that is just the same every every other weekend, which can happen in in a lot of other categories, is they have a qualifying system which is reflective of the um, of the championship position. So the more successful you are in the championship, the later. Um, sorry, the earlier that you will yeah. run in qualifying, yeah. which is just a guaranteed way to mix up the grid and bring different results, bring different opportunities to those who otherwise wouldn't. And it's that simple. I mean, whoever made that uh, decision, it was a masterstroke because it has given the last two seasons of Gen 2 seasons have been so mixed up, so muddled up, and so exciting to watch. Well, the, 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 the reverse draft in, in American stick and ball sports um, saw um, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers win the Super Bowl. They'll get last first pick uh, for, for the cream of the, the new players coming through. The way they order the cars uh, in FIA um WRC, funny enough, can disadvantage the guys uh, at certain points. I, I absolutely agree with it, but surely, Sam, you know, uh, yes, it's, it, it has to be made for a, a, a television and a global audience, but it's actually quite brave to have the cars on track for fewer hours, for fewer laps, for, for less time, in, in order to say, right, there you go, there's the track, it's not going anywhere, so, you know, you're pros, you've had 45 minutes, if you don't know which way it goes by now, you're not really trying. Uh, that, to me, throws a bit of a, a, a curveball, a bit of a googly or a carom ball uh, in, into the whole thing uh, as well, and lets the drivers be drivers, and, and, and that, that means the relationship with their engineers, the way they set the car up, it's all got to be done on a compressed time scale rather than saying, yeah, but if we put them on for another two 45-minute sessions, we can do another two 45-minute hour-long TV programmes, but have we, as have we seen in other formulas, so many of those additional sessions, actually, you don't get anything out of it from an, an entertainment point of view, and it actually doesn't make the race better. When those sessions are rained out or whatever, and you set a grid slightly differently or you have fewer laps on track, we often see some, some fantastic races. Yeah, I mean, Formula E is always innovative, and, and one of the things it's had consistently is this great time pressure. Um, the time constraints are, are unbelievable. Everything is run in one day. They may get a a shakedown session the, the afternoon or the evening before race day. But, yeah, I mean, it, it challenges everyone, even down to, you know, the job that, that I and, and my colleagues do in the press room. You know, trying to grab drivers during a race day at any, at any part of the day is, you know, is a, is a pretty difficult thing to do. But they are under tremendous pressure. And obviously, with the advent of the manufacturers coming in, that just ramps the pressure up even more. You know, it even goes down to the testing the manufacturers only get a certain amount of days testing, which seems to be it seems to diminish further or diminish more um, every season. I think now it's down to thirteen days uh, only uh, for seasons. With the obviously with a lot of the cost cuts and the uh, dual homologation, uh, which we'll probably talk about a bit later as well. 
Alexander, I'm, I'm, I'm aware that the time pressure that uh, Sam was talking about on the weekend is that we, we have a little bit on you as well and you've got other things to do. So thank you very much for joining us. I've got a couple of other quick questions, if, um, if it's OK for you. We're going back racing. Uh, we're going back to Riyadh for the first round of the season, um, which must have good memories for you. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> well, you're only as good as your last race and your last race there. You were very good indeed. Two pulls and a win. Yep, yep. It was um, yeah, a very good start to, to last season. Um, enjoyed the track and yeah, things things went well. But um, what Sam was saying about qualifying, um, the qualifying format, um, yeah, struck a chord with me as, as he was talking because uh, yeah, I left there as championship leader and I stayed in group one for quite a few races. And yeah, it, it's it's really tough, you know, to to then put it up the front of the grid in qualifying when you're in Group One consistently. Um, so yeah, just just touching on that, that it's, I think it's it's fantastic. You'll hear everyone moan about it when it affects them negatively, but um, some drivers more than others. But um, from an outsider's perspective, it keeps it really interesting. It's really good. It's really good. But no, I'm looking forward to going back to Riyadh. And yeah, fingers crossed we can we can replicate some of the, the pace and results that I had last year. Uh, you're listening to a special programme on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. We're looking forward to the new season, the 2021 20, uh, season, starting uh, for ABB Formula E FIA World Championship. Uh, Sam Smith from the race with us and also a Mahindra driver, new Mahindra driver for this year, Alexander Sims, who we, we're going to lose in a couple of minutes' time. So uh, let's ask him a couple of fi- final questions. Um, we still are... Alexander, in a difficult situation with many of us and many of the people listening now unable to travel and able to do the most basic of things. Uh, how how do you balance that situation with, with having to go and do your job? And, I, I, you know, and I, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit here. Um, having to go and do your job and going back racing during these these pandemic ridden times. Um, I mean, it's, it's not lost on me, uh, the yeah complexity of the situation. Um, there's certainly yeah, a, a part of me that feels very odd about going back racing mm. whilst, you know, there are such heavy restrictions around the world. But um, I've got full confidence in, in Formula E and the strict testing uh, facilities and uh, regime that they they put us under um, to to make sure that everyone and I mean everyone in the paddock is is safe um, and COVID free. The yeah, I mean the, the fact that we we travel around the world doing it because it's a, a world championship and and I guess you know the the Berlin solution the end of last season was was as it was and necessary but yes. i'm i'm thankful that that formula e's found a solution to be able to travel to some different locations because i don't think a, you know you don't have a, a championship that's just just in one location consistently mm. but um no I, I think that other championships formula one for example has, has shown that it is possible um to to travel around they had a fairly sensible season uh, last year uh, remaining safe so um 
yeah, I, I think it's a credit to, to all the preparation that Fumri's put in to, to make it happen. I think motorsports, generally speaking, all motorsport, particularly international motorsport, World Championship motorsport, has done a cracking job, uh, to to be honest. Uh, and uh, and more power to the elbow for doing that because just simply watching you know, the Daytona 24 hours, a race on the weekend that it was meant to happen um, a couple of weekends ago, I think that does a lot of good for everybody uh, and I echo what you're saying uh, Alexander finish off with this with you and then we'll let you let you go um, seven by my counts um, British drivers in Formula E uh, including some big names in there yourself obviously um, Alex Lynn your teammate there's Bird Roland Turvey uh, Jack Dennis, uh, we've got Blancfist is British as well of course what is it then that that's why are the Brits particularly good at Formula E, and what makes them what makes them employable and desirable for Formula E? Um, I, I I don't know if it's something connected with our nationality. I, I don't suppose it is. To be honest, it's just chance and, and the way things have have gone. Um, probably a, a little bit down to the strength of British motorsport and the industry that we've mm. got here in in, in the UK to create the interest uh but I, I don't know if it's much more than than that um to be honest i, I i'm pretty sure that most teams just pick the, the the best driver that is available to them and their nationality is probably not a big big consideration so um it's pretty it is odd having so many brits on the grid um in a way but now full credit to to all of the guys i think they're they're fully deserved what they've done in their careers to, to be in Formula E. Alexander, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we wish you uh, a fair wind and good racing. Race well, enjoy, uh, and the, uh, give our best to the rest of the team and the rest of the paddock as well. Thank you for joining us on this Will special programme. Thanks for having me. Cheers, guys. Brilliant stuff from uh, Alexander Sims uh, with us in this uh, special programme on the ABB Formula E FIA World Championship. Sam Smith from the race stayed with us. I'll, I'll, I'll start. I'm going to ask you now that Alex has, has left us a little bit about Alex later on because it, it seemed a bit rude to do that whilst he was here because you might say he doesn't deserve his place. I, I strongly suspect not. Um, but but let's start. Let's start with that British driver question that we finished uh, with with Alex. Does that indicate when you look at those names that I shouted out when, when does that indicate just how many good British formula drivers there are hanging around who didn't quite make the jump into Formula One or IndyCar or, or whatever and therefore are the perfect candidates with the brain power, the racecraft to come into Formula A, particularly for somebody like Sam Bird who's you know, pretty much been in it since the start. Well, the first thing I want to say, John, is the word cerebrally, because I can say it. Excellent. I just don't know why I couldn't say it before. Been practicing that for the last ten minutes. <laughs> you, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think I think Alexander was pretty pretty right. I mean, in terms of in terms of there being seven, there's always been around sort of four, five, six. I think there was seven as well, maybe in season four. I'd like to say, but not quite sure on that. Yes, I think if you look at all of those drivers, you would say, you know, if the stars had been aligned a bit better, then they would have at least got a crack at Formula One. They were all certainly 
good enough to to do it if they had the opportunity. Most of them, uh, well, all of them, all of them didn't. I don't think any of them has started a Grand Prix. Sadly, a lot of them came really close. I mean, Oliver Rowland was, Alex Lynn certainly was, and Sam Bird was on the cusp of it, wasn't he? And, and didn't quite get a chance. But yeah, I think the UK has always had a rich stream of strong young single seater drivers, and you know we've been fortunate enough been around sports cars for so long john to find that a lot of those guys have, have come into to sport, sports cars and made a great career and then it just seems that you know since 2014 there's been this channel for them to go to and and um stretch out their single seater career a bit and that's what they've done uh, well uh, let's talk uh, a little bit about alexander sims and mahindra we might as well start off there i want to talk about the race calendar as well but while it's fresh in my mind what alexander had said uh, alexander uh, sims and alex lynn for mahindra uh, uh, that's a a complete change of, of of personnel for them behind the steering wheel yeah it's quite a complicated one actually last season they ran for most of the campaign pascal verline and jerome d'ambrosio uh, verline went off to porsche slightly prematurely and uh, didn't go down well with uh, Dilbad Gill, the uh, team principal of Mahindra. So he was, uh, he found himself jettisoned uh, before the Berlin finale. So he was replaced by Alex Lynn, who came in, did a great job and staked the claim for that seat. Mm. And as Alexander said, he was signed um, in the early part of last summer, around about, I think, June time, it was agreed that he was going to join the team. A, A really strong, a really strong partnership. I was actually privy to Alexander's first test back in September with Mahindra uh, and I think it was just before he went to the Nürburgring 24 actually and he you know he is he is such a um, he's so into the EV uh, landscape and the technology and the whole sustainable way of living you know it's not just a show you get the impression that with some drivers it's a bit of a you know got to tick a box but with Alexander it's genuinely a way of life and I think a lot of people have got great, um, you know, a, a great deal of uh, respect for, for that and the way that he comes across in his, in his normal everyday life. Uh, the biggest change that people are going to notice uh, with Alexander, and I forgot to ask him this when he was on the line, I'm kicking myself now, um, is that the big bigot's gone. He's now clean shaven. Uh, so clearly, you know, worth a couple of miles an hour down the straight and uh, and all of that. I'm not, not sure what the... Uh, what the thinking behind that is, but actually, in all seriousness, what a considered, uh, what a considered driver. But we've known that for a while, as you've rightly said. I'm a, I'm a hindrance in in with a chance, particularly with this new um, partnership with ZF. Yeah, I think they are. Um, they've got they've had a bit of a restructure since um, probably the start of last season. They had a lot of difficulties with gearboxes at the start of season. Uh, what was it? Season six, and then they reverted to a lot of their previous season kit so they were on the back foot a bit last season um but yeah their pace at valencia although difficult to sort of equate to what everything else is going on and the the competitors on such a an unformulary track is difficult to gauge but they're going to be in the mix you know i i would put them i would put them at the top end of midfield initially and like i said you know if i think alex lynn will be in group three and Alexander Sims may be in the same group, uh, probably is, for qualifying. So they've got every chance of starting the season off really, uh, really quickly in, in Saudi. We mentioned uh, a couple of the races that we've got on the calendar as it stands so far, which is eight 
rounds, I think, if I'm right, uh, that we, we know about right now. The the two, so the Arabia um, openers. Then Rome's back on the, the calendar in, in April. Uh, all of these subject to dot, 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 dot. Um, yeah. Valencia, uh, April 24th. Um, Monaco, we've talked about the Circuit Ricardo Tormo uh, there. Monaco, May the 8th. Um, that is a traditional time of year to be going to uh, Monaco, uh, not necessarily for these guys. And they have been there before, but there will be a change this year, Sam, there as well. Yeah, that's right. This will be the fourth time that they've been to Monaco. It runs biannually and, and sort of dovetails usually with the, the, the classic uh, the historic meeting that goes there. All three are happening this year because obviously nothing ran in 2020. It should be, and I use these words advisedly because we've been so close before, it should be the first time Formula E has run on the what is known as the Grand Prix track. Previously, they've turned sharp right at Sandovot and then run along to the harbour, done a, done a UE at, <laughs> at the uh, chicane, at the harbour front chicane and come back. 24 cars on that short track does not make for a, no. um, for a, you know, a lot of green flag racing in my estimation. So, the anticipation is that they will run on the Grand Prix track, but there may be some subtle tweaks. This really goes to um, the FIA's reluctance to run on tracks that Formula One run for yeah. fear of adverse publicity, which I think actually is a bit of a, a bit of a fallacy. Now, I think people don't really won't really compare. I actually spoke to Sebastian Buemi about this a couple of weeks ago, and he was of the same opinion. Most people are. That any comparison is is completely irrelevant. Anyway, we all know that Formula E is going to be fifteen, well, more twenty seconds slower than than F one on any given. But what is it? I, I really don't get that. Of all the criticisms that people can level at Formula Formula E, and, and all the comparisons you can give it against any other form of of internal combustion motorsport, uh, trying to compare it with Formula One. Um, I think is is the most ridiculous. Um, it, it's not meant to be an electric version of Formula One. Formula One, if it's going to go electric, will do it in its own way. This, it's almost like saying, oh, yeah, but um, a GT3 car is not as quick as a GT Le Mans car or a GT4 car or, or a radical. A radical SR3 is not as quick as a, a hybrid around Donington Park. Of course it's not. It's it's not meant to. Be. I, I I really don't get that, Sam. I don't. Um, the two other races that we've got is the double header in Santiago, uh, uh, in in June, which is that looks like Le Mans mm. Test Weekend, fifth and yeah, sixth. Yeah, going to be a of that. potentially a tricky one. Uh, again, going back to chatting with Buemi. Um, yeah, there, there is some concern, but at the same time, there is the strong possibility that things will change both for Formula and. Let's hope not, but potentially, potentially Le Mans anyway. Long flyaways um, to to um, Central and Southern America may be difficult, and and yeah. we'll hear by the end of the month is what I'm being told um, that what is happening with Le Mans this year. So mm. by the end of February, the month we are in now, there should be an announcement. I'm looking at the lorry 24 hours, the truck 24 hours in September and thinking if I was booking hotel rooms, I think I might be looking somewhere around there um, for the Le Mans 24 hours. Uh, Either both of those might, might indeed change. How many other rounds do we think we might get Sam? And it's, it's, um, 
it's been said by the championship springtime will will, will be when they will submit their their other other dates they're giving themselves the time and the world motorsport council the time uh, in in very difficult circumstances but what's the plan in terms of how many rounds for this year uh, they're very much doing the right thing doing this rolling announcement because yeah, things like are changing it. so so quickly i mean you know i think santiago was was postponed 23 days before it was due to start in january so mm. it just shows you how quickly things can change all the cars have actually gone Oh, really? they, they were they were in Chile, yeah. So they've they've had to come back and gone direct to uh, Riyadh for for the upcoming starter starter the championship. I think uh, speaking to Alberto Longo, who is the deputy CEO and, and the co-founder, along with Alejandro Gag and, and also Jamie Regal, who's a uh, the, the new CEO, who's been in his position for for almost eighteen months now. He um, he and Alberto have have. Uh, are looking at uh, at least thirteen to fourteen races. They they want to do potentially fifteen, but of course the the problem they have is that you know if Santiago can't happen um, and London can't happen, and at this stage London is you just can't see no. uh, the Accelerina um, being the the host venue for that race. But look, things can change, and hopefully they will. Which is currently These, a Nightingale Hospital, at least part it, of it. Not it, necessarily exactly. the same part. In fairness. But um, it's, it's, it isn't, the logistics would be even more complex, shall we say. Exactly. And, and the same is true for New York. You know, the Red Hook terminal is, is used as a vaccination centre. And we've also got, uh, Paris has already gone. Uh, Seoul and going to the Far East is going to be very difficult because getting into those countries is, uh, at present, certainly China is very difficult. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you've got, You've got races like Tempelhof, Berlin Tempelhof, which last year hosted six races in August, which was pretty extreme to do six races in nine days. I mean, fair play to Formula E and the teams for pulling that off, but they won't consider doing that again. What they could do, though, is Berlin, I believe, has got two or three dates that it can slot in. So it's yeah. a, a bit of a utility event. And then I think worst case scenario is we're going to see races potentially at places I'm giving examples here. These are not actually defined as venues or substitute venues, but potentially venues uh, such as uh, Portimao or Estoril or uh, Paul Rica, or I've even heard Assen in the past. Oh. Uh, these 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 venues could be available. But you know, having said that, you look at the situation with Portugal at the minute and hosting races in Portugal. Uh, certainly for UK teams is is no. no it's pretty impossible at the minute to do because of the requisite um, quarantining that needs to happen afterwards. It's so difficult. It's I've, I've described it in the past like nailing jelly to a wall for, for Formula E to try and get this done. It's impossible to say, but I, I think if they got if they got twelve to thirteen races, yeah, uh, and they got say two or three really high profile ones, so you know, Diria is going to be at, at two night races, so that's mm. going to be a spectacle. Monaco should happen. Um, that is going to be interesting. There's a new track at Rome. And listen, if they can host an event in pretty close to the centre of Rome, in the EUR suburb of the Eternal City, fair play to them. Yeah, because that, that would be a massive success if they could pull that one off as well. I like, I've got to say, I, I like 
the idea of ruling this out because everything could still change. And we talked about moving Le Mans. If Le Mans moves, then everything else will have to adjust to to that. Uh, and, of course, it's not just Le Mans. It's Formula One. It's uh, the WEC. It's IMSA because some of these drivers have got multiple uh, uh, multiple commitments through throughout the the season. Sam Smith from the race is with us as we look at the ABB uh, Formula E World Championship, FIA World Championship for this year. Um, we've spoken about Mahindra. We'll talk about the other teams and rattle through them. Um, some changes, some similarities in terms of the technical side of things. Sam, help us get our heads across that before we start talking about the teams. Weren't we supposed to have had a new new car again now, or at least a, an evolution of the car? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Formula E runs to uh, the rule set of homologating a new powertrain for for every season. So the, the, the constituent parts are broken down as the chassis is a spec chassis supplied by Spark. Um, the powertrain, which includes the inverter, uh, the motor and the gearbox is free. So the manufacturers will uh, build those for every new season. However, right. after the pandemic broke out, it was a pretty sensible decision to try and cut as many costs as possible, especially as supply chains and lead times were, you know, pretty pretty disrupted by what happened last year. So what they decided to do was to, for the final two seasons of the Gen 2 uh, rule set, was to offer the teams different slots for when they could homologate their powertrain. So they could they had the choice, essentially, of running their new powertrain from the start of this season through to the end of next season, so that's season seven and eight. Mm-hmm. Or what they could do was carry over their previous season's powertrain for the first uh, and, and race that in the first four races of the championship. Slightly controversially, because of the disruption to the calendar, that is now two races. Mm. So there are there are three teams that will be using old kit from last season. Those three teams are Nissan, Nissan Edams, uh, DS Tachita, the reigning champions, and Dragon Penske. Everyone else is running a new powertrain right. and will continue to do so for the next two years. It's again, it's a throwback though. You know, you'd go on the South American leg of the old Formula One World Championship. People would turn up with the previous year's cars. I'm old enough to yeah. remember uh, remember that. The key part of that and where the controversy lies is now that is only two uh, events rather than the four. So yeah. there's, there's, there is uh, a thought, I presume, uh, that, is, that it is slightly less of a dis advantage uh, to be with, depending on which side of the coin you're on, with last year's uh, which may be slightly not as good, or with this year's um, the new one which be might be still being um, tinkered with, but whatever you know, it balances it's, out doesn't it? It's Yeah, it's, it's a bit of give and take in a way, you know what teams are like and manufacturers are like, John wants, you know, it all seems a good idea at the time and then somebody's perceived to get an advantage and the claws come out a bit that has happened to some extent however, I think, the good thing in Formula A actually is that well, certainly on the surface at least, and, and the majority of the time, everyone seems to work together for the greater good of the championship. It's still quite a nascent championship. It's still growing. So the last thing it needs is, you know, overt politics, but it, it, still, it still filters in every now and again. With this particular um, topic, I, 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 can't see, I can't see anything changing. Yes, there's lobbying going on and, and extension, so... 
But actually, when you think about it, the new team, so Nissan, let's take Nissan and DS to Cheetah, really, because Dragon and Penske weren't competitive at all last season. Let's take those two. Yes, they will have a new powertrain that they've done private testing with coming in for the third race in Rome as it stands. However, they couldn't use that for the in-season, well, not in-season, but the, the, the closed season testing in Valencia. Ah. So they were using their old kit. So the others had uh, four days of motor testing there. So, yeah, give and take. I mean, ultimately, it'll probably balance itself out somewhat. Certainly, from a competitive point of view, I think DS to Cheetah will again be at the, at the forefront. You know, they are super strong. Well, let's take... Uh, let, we'll, we'll come to... The, the teams. Is there anything else technically that we, we need to know um, uh, that will make sense of what we're about to say on a team-by-team basis? Not not particularly, no. The, the teams all run single MGUs now after after Nissan's slightly controversial double MGU system. So yeah. that, that was nipped in the bud in uh, the end of Season 5. Uh, te- technically, there, there are a few sort of perif- peripheral things, mainly cost-cutting. Uh, there is a, on the on the human resources level, let's say, which is probably the most, will be the most noticeable, is that there is a reduction in engineers that are now allowed at the track. So there are only, I believe it's 17 um, that are allowed at the track now. So that's for both cars. So two cars are run by 17 personnel wow. allowed to work on the car so that's probably the most noticeable change the tires are the same the cars are the same the powertrains we've just discussed that there, there are slight differences in terms of the homologations but essentially the rule set is pretty stable which will mean of course that everything gets concertinaed in again and it'll be another super close campaign let's start with last year's uh, last season's champions ds to cheetah with the e-tense fe20 uh, DS, the luxury arm of Citroen, of course. Uh, that's the brand, if you're not familiar with that. Antonio Felix de Costa, Jean-Eric Verne in the 13 and 25 numbered cars, respectively. Uh, difficult to win a championship, often said even more so to defend, but you've already pointed out there will be there or thereabouts with those two drivers this year, sir. Yeah, they will. Super strong, possibly the strongest driver pairing on the grid. Um, Antonio Felix da Costa dominated the final stages of last year's championship and and shook shook Jean-Eric up a little bit. It's it's an intriguing one that I've written about it quite a bit uh, over the last year. That dynamic, we both know those characters, John, very very different that mm-hmm. they they they've grown up together in the red bull um scene uh, earlier in their junior careers but they are very different characters um and obviously you know bringing this topic topically wise it's a really good time to record this because yesterday uh jean-eric Verne was announced as one of the the six uh peugeot uh, lmh drivers and it was a, a big surprise to me, at least, that Antonio Felix da Costa wasn't. We've I've written a piece today mm. on some of the reasons why that uh, why that might have been, and it, and it seems to be an intriguing one. I'll, I'll leave the readers to uh, to make their and own. That's mind. on the race, is it? It's on the race. Yeah, it Excellent. went on today. Some background as to why uh, that happened. Essentially, it seems that there was some kind of pact between DS and Peugeot for only one of their Formula E drivers to do a dual campaign, uh, which is, you know, has got quite a few holes in it when you consider that 
DS uh, to Cheetah have consistently had drivers that have had dual roles, Mr. Lotter being one of them, of course, in the past. Yep. Doesn't quite stack up. And <laughs> I have I have spoken to, I spoke to Antonio last night and a few people at the team. And, and yeah, th- this one's got legs. Oh. Uh, there's going to be some ripples, I think, over that. Okay, sounds reasonable. No, no sign of Persia, of course, doing any competitive uh, work for at least a, another season. So uh, that would be testing issues potentially uh, at least in the uh, in in this calendar yeah let's go through the rest of the teams sam smith from the race is with us on this special here on tuesday evening on the radio show limited uh, network of channels for the abb formula e fia world championship uh, alphabetically then uh, from that audi sport abt scheffler uh, with luca de grassi and rene rast yeah yeah, they'll, they'll be there or thereabouts. I mean, the big thing with Audi, of course, is that this is going to be their last season in Formula E. They, they're going to do uh, an LMDH project and a, and a Dakar uh, car as well. So, yeah. It's, it's... That surprised you, Sam, uh, when, when it's a time when many manufacturers are, are trumpeting their full uh, pure EV systems. Mm-hmm. Audi, with the e-tron just out, the new GT <laughs> launched at the back end of, of last week properly um the, I, 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 it's an interesting um what's the word i'm looking for a re-evaluation of where they want to be in motorsport yeah i think it did and it didn't i mean it it, it did it did to the extent that they went to do a dakar program i i, I kind of struggle with that a little bit it's but very brave is, it's very brave it's, doing an electric dakar program very, I know it's a range it, extender, yeah. but even so, that that's but that's very Audi in some respects, isn't it? Vorsprung Turk Technik, yeah. they want to they want to push the the boundaries, which in some ways they can't do that much of in Formula E, and, and possibly even less of. Although there's some aero tweaks in, in LMD DH, It'll leave a hole though, won't it? It will, it will, and I'll miss them actually. They've been uh, they've been really good to deal with and interesting team obviously alan mcnish is the team principal and and he's it's always a, a pleasure to speak to alan and get insights into how they go racing and, and he's desperate to get the lmdh project and not the dakar project i absolutely guarantee you <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't like to speak to, to for alan on that one <laughs> I, I, the, the the surprise for me is that they didn't go to the end of seat of the gen 2 yeah. era yeah. um that you know they are being good enough to to uh, complete their their customer duties with Envision Virgin who run Audi powertrains but then again I wasn't that surprised that they were the first manufacturer to to leave um, they are part of the VW group and of course the VW group also have Porsche in Formula E as well yeah. and although that wasn't uh, an official reason or you know certainly wasn't um, discussed as an official reason it, it, you know certainly had to have some bearing on on their sporting uh, on their sporting uh, plans for the future I think. they are in this year and with Rene Rast uh, 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 in in there um, uh, as well of course uh, as his teammate Lucas de Grassi um, two drivers who have got their heads around this formula yeah, I mean Lucas needs no introduction. He's uh, he's proven himself in in Formula E and various other things. Uh, very, he's he, he's he's one of these people who one of these drivers who you think oh he's having you know he's having a bad season or he's not quite what he was last season. And then you see the points table at the end of the year, you think oh god you know he's like third or fourth or yeah. something. And he's an ex champion. He's wily. He's super intelligent. 
he he drives the programs forward he's super focused super tough on the team but in a positive way rene rast i mean you know we all know rene rast is very fast right i mean he's uh, he's he is i think he could be a revelation i think he could be the rookie of the year he's uh, he's, he's like a smiling assassin to me. He's such a lovely guy. I love him a bit. I think he's but a great chap. He is, uh, but he he doesn't give any quarter. We saw that in Berlin in the penultimate yes. race. Yes, he he elbowed literally, well, not literally, but he really muscled Andre Lotterer out of a podium position. Yeah. Uh, which you know, how many times have we said that? Not many no, over not the years. So he he can dish it out, and he's he's got formulary now. And I think he he's really one to watch. And the interesting part of it is how Lucas reacts to that if if he starts to nibble away at Lucas's heels. Uh, BMW i Andretti Motorsport. BMW i is their electric brand with the BMW i FE twenty one. Jake Dennis, the first of the seven British drivers uh, in this part. Obviously, we've we've spoken already uh, about uh, uh, Alexander uh, and Alex. We'll go a little bit further into that in a wee while. And Maxi Günther uh, with that so the Anglo-German uh, driver lineup for the German Stroke USA, um, very much USA flagged, and Dretty Motorsport with BMW. Yes, similarly to Audi, of course, it's going to be uh, their last season of competition as well. We expect an announcement soon that for season eight, Andretti will continue. Andretti, as opposed to Audi, actually own that slot. Um, so they um, they will take on that that slot that team slot. So they will probably continue with BMW uh, powertrains next season. This is going to be the last of the Andretti i BMW entity. Um, yeah, driver lineup. Uh, Jake Dennis replaces. Um, uh, who does he replace? I've forgotten. I will remember in a second. But Maximilian Gunter is a two-time winner of uh, in Formula E, won in Santiago last year and in Berlin as well. Of course, Alexander Sims was the driver that Jake Dennis replaced there. We've just spoken to him. Yes, of course. I've got that. See how quickly things move on, mate, in motorsport. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, Jake Jake Dennis is... It was a surprise. I I think, you know, even himself, he was surprised that he got a race seat, especially with BMW having such a a vast array of uh, factory drivers. Uh, they tested Marco Wittmann and they tested Lucas Auer. And Bruno Spengler had a few tests before Philip Eng had been in the car. But ultimately, it was Jake Dennis who got it. And he got it on merit, seemingly, from, from what I've heard from the team. You um, said they sort of underperformed last year. What what can they do? What do they need to do better in terms of the team uh, to, to move them up the grid this year? Yeah, pace-wise and as a race winning proposition, they're always there or thereabouts, but the, the consistency has always been the issue with BMW. I mean, Berlin last, last year was a typical example. I think Gunter won a race and then didn't get any other points. And Alexander got a couple of 10th places, I think, or 10th or 9th. And, and that was it. Um, so yeah, they need, they need consistency. BMW's always been a bit of a enigma to me in a way with the way that they run their motorsport programs. And, you know, they... <laughs> That's across motorsport, not just FE that Sam's yeah, talking yeah. about there. And that, yeah. and my slight exhale there was in, in agreement. We look at 
some of their motorsport programs, uh, whether it's touring cars or GT3 or, or, or sports cars down through the years. And we've had to scratch our heads a little bit. And it, and it seems no more clear to us in in terms of what's been going on with with FE, uh, Sam. Uh, may, no. Maybe we'll find out in the future, but uh, yeah. we I haven't had any of their others... <laughs> Odd, odd decisions down through the years. There's been some very strange decisions. Yeah, you know, even the drivers, the way that they've recruited and then looked after their their drivers, and you know, there's a running theme there, isn't there? Robin, Robin Frines, Antonio Felix da Costa, Alexander Sims have all slipped through their fingers. They've they've got Maximilian Gunter, and he's done a fantastic job. Been one of the standout young drivers mm-hmm. of the last couple of seasons, and yeah, I, I, honestly, I think they will win races. I can see Gunter winning races. I can see Jake Dennis winning a race or at least getting podiums. Don't forget, he's a complete rookie, so he will start in the more beneficial qualifying group for the first two double headers in in Diria. Yes, he needs a lot more of experience, but from what I've seen of Jake Dennis in uh, in Formula Three and DTM, he is more than capable of doing what um, what Oliver Rowland and, and yeah. what Maximilian Gunter have done in the in the last few seasons. Uh, just before we move on, you mentioned about Andretti Motorsport owning that slot. That that probably deserves a little bit of explanation there. On the Formula E grid, we're talking effectively about a franchise system, which is what has been talked about in in Formula One. Yeah, that's right. You've you've got to differentiate between the teams and the manufacturers. So, for instance, I think there are 10 manufacturers um, who build their own powertrains. The two that don't are Envision. Uh, Envision Virgin, who are a customer of Audi, and Venturi, who are a customer of Mercedes. Everybody else is a manufacturer. Even the small, you call the smaller manufacturers like Neo and uh, and Penske Dragon, Penske Autosport, to give it its its full title. So, the the, the BMW entry, the actual um, the actual license, uh, the franchise, if you will, is owned by Andretti. Mm. So Andretti will be able to carry on, um, obviously, should they wish to. They don't have to. Um, but the plan, I believe, is for them to carry on with BMW uh, powertrains for the final season. And, and what um, happens with Ab Scheffler then? Because obviously Abda um, have been down through the years, a massive Audi collaborator and and customer team. Could they keep running the Audi e-tron, FAO7? Uh, possibly, yeah. I believe it's under discussion. The difference there is that uh, Audi actually, Audi Sport actually took on that slot, so right. they okay. are the owners of it. Right. So they would have to come to an agreement with somebody, essentially sell it. Um, so th- th- I, I believe, I believe that that is. It could have happened. It depends who you, who you speak to. It could have happened, or it is currently happening. Now, whether that is to uh, apt, as in apt sports line or. Or, or, or apps um, that we know from from DTM. I, I, I think the likelihood is that somebody else possibly has bought that, oh, um, really? or is in the process of doing it. Another but manufacturer or another team? We we don't know. We don't know right. at the minute. Um, I, 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 it's difficult to understand if another manufacturer is coming into the championship. It, it depends who you speak to. Right. Um, I think in the present climate, I think it's more unlikely that somebody will. 
However, um, we've seen recently the Stellantis group of, uh, they've got this huge uh, array of brands within the new Stellantis group, which is PSA and, and Fiat Chrysler um, essentially merged together. I, I think if, if a new manufacturer comes into Formula E, it could well be a second Stellantis brand. And probably not to, one of the ones the from S. Peugeot or Citroen, one of the ones from the Fiat Chrysler side of things, is what I, I'm, I'm reading from various of the sources. Those are the words you've just put in my mouth, John, and I've... Uh, yeah, you've like, sidestepped like, them. Like a ventriloquist <laughs> dummy, I'll spit them out again. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I think uh, uh, you know, I, I, I could foresee that happening. Whether or not they would, would have bought Audi's slot, I, I doubt. I think... I think it is likely to be something else, but oh, the interest the interesting part of it is that for generation three, which comes in for twenty two twenty three the registration deadline is the thirty first of March this, this year. year so we are six weeks away from that deadline um so not only all the manufacturers so there's only one publicly confirmed manufacturer already signed up to gen three, which is Mahindra. Mm. All the others have not publicly at least said that they are doing Gen 3. They've all made the right noises, but yeah. they haven't signed yet. Now, there's a whole array of things which would take us hours to talk about for why that's the case. But ultimately, it comes down to um, to cost. So there are cost caps similar to, to how Formula 1 are structuring it. But there are very specific cost cap uh, measures in place for teams and manufacturers, which where it gets complicated. And frankly, John, pretty boring because it comes down to accountancy and auditing and all these yeah 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 process Uh, baby process so we need to get the responsible adult in for that we'll probably get you back at some stage during the season uh, about that it is sam smith who's with us our sincere thanks to alexander sims who was with us in the uh, early part of this preview of the new season the new FIA World Championship season for ABB Formula E. Uh, let's move on then. Dragon Penske Autosport uh, and their Penske EV5 uh, is the car. Nico Müller, Hop Suisse, and Sergio Sete Camera. I seem to remember, uh, I may have made this up in my head or dreamt it, um, or maybe it was just I'd eaten too much cheese uh, one night, but didn't Sergio Sete Camera do a bit of the the Jaguar support series as a um, uh, as a VIP car entry at one stage. I seem to think Monaco maybe, but I may have made, made that up entirely. It was it was definitely think, some, some yeah, of a tight think, corner. I think, I think you've made that up, John. Really? I don't rec- I don't remember him doing it. Really, you, you, you may have been confusing him with uh, Salvador Duran. Mm, maybe uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, I you know, two str- I, I, another two strong drivers, however, for Dragon Penske Autosport. Hugely, yeah. I mean, and they've had great drivers. Brendan Hartley was with them last season. That didn't work out, and, and and they split after five races to the utter bewilderment of everybody. I think, including probably including Brendan. But yeah, the Dragon Penske Autosport have had two really wretched seasons. Bit of a um, a bit of confusion in the team, the the the, the organisation. Not in the sense that they haven't got good people, because they have. I mean, uh, Gary Holland, who was with Jota for many years as their team manager, is a team manager there. Does a very fine job. They've got some good engineers. Like we said, we got good. They've got good drivers, um, but it just doesn't seem to happen. And I think it's probably a legacy of them being their own manufacturer uh, using a. Sub- 
a series of suppliers to get their powertrain in place, whereas it would probably be, probably be easier and certainly more commercially beneficial for them to become a, a, a customer of a, a manufacturer like Envision Virgin have done. And Envision have gone on to win. Actually, Envision Virgin have won more races in Gen 2 than Audi have, their providers of the powertrain. So it can work. You know, that that sort of structure can work really well. But Dragon Penske, been their own con- uh, manufacturer, it hasn't worked. They've got a technical director who lives in L.A., uh, with um, who works with Jay Penske in LA, and they've got an operational base at Silverstone. It's it's certainly the results have, have, have certainly not come in the last two seasons. Nico Muller has stayed, although he wasn't signed until very late, and, and there seems to be a lot of sort of power plays and negotiations going on there, which both parties could probably have done without. I, they're going to start with their old powertrain, which was over a race distance was you know wasn't in the same postcode as the others last season it's going to be uh, you know the, the best case for the first two races is that they can qualify quite well uh, but certainly in the races they're going to they're going to drop like a stone unfortunately unless they've got a handle on new software because software is open that could be a possibility but you know i have my doubts and they're going to have to wait until rome and their new package to you know to get any traction at all really uh, I, I realise what I did. I have conflated the two Jaguar um, Brazil drivers that was Caca Bueno and Sergio Jimenez, and somehow I managed to get ah. Sergio Sete Camera, um, which is the, the uh, best way to remember it, John. Is I, I call Sergio Sete Camera Aztec. Aztec Camera. Very good. Yeah. Uh, I knew he was somewhere in my heart, but I just couldn't <laughs> work out where he came on. One for the teenagers there. Yeah. You've mentioned Envision Virgin Racing a couple of times. Let's move on to them and their their driver lineup. Uh, Envision Virgin Racing with that Audi e-tron FE07 um, machinery for Robin Freins, the Dutch driver, and Nick Cassidy in the four and thirty-seven. Uh, right. Okay. Let's talk about the drivers. We've talked enough about them and the and the team. But let's talk about the drivers, Sam. Yeah, great lineup. You know, mm. I think they're, they're right up there. Um, again, you know, there, there, there isn't any. Um, it's 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 all wheat. There's no chaff in Formula E. It's all mm. really strong driver lineups, and this is one of them. Robin Freins, I think, probably along with Rosenqvist, one of the most um, sublimely gifted in terms of reflex and just touch and feel just incredible you know you see some of the things that he he can do with a race car and you think wow you know that's that's a bit sort of paranormal in a sense he is a very talented racing driver um he's not always the most consistent um which isn't unusual in formula e because no. of the qualifying makeup but you know he's he had a, he had a really bad start to last season and then it picked up he was very competitive in berlin he's always a challenger for for at least a podium is is robin you know the big question is whether he can mount a title a title campaign and and, and see it through you know it's i think this is his this is his third season with uh, envision virgin he had a, a couple of seasons with andretti so he's he's one of the more experienced drivers now uh, great a, a great guy great great character good person to to speak to a little bit quirky which is which is great um his teammate nick cassidy there's a lot of eyes going to be on Nick because he's come with a big reputation from yeah. Japan predominantly. Uh, he's a Formula Nip. I was going to say Formula Nippon. It's Super Formula champion, and he's a, a GT 
500 champion, Super GT champion as well. Obviously very good, a contemporary of, of Rosenqvist's and, and Tom Blomqvist and, and, and the Ocon and sort of Verstappen years of, of Formula 3. He, uh, I think he could be the next big big rookie. He's got all the capacity, speaking to the team and the engineers, to hit the ground running. Um, he, he's playing. He himself is playing things down, uh, saying he needs you know a fair few races to get under his belt. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's right up there along with Jake Dennis um, in the first few races because he's he's certainly talented enough. Uh, and do we think that Envision Virgin Racing can add to their eleven all-time? Uh, wins in the all-time standings then, 29 podiums out of the 69 races that they have competed in? Yes, absolutely. Right, absolutely. Okay. They've, got, they've got everything they need. They've got good people. Uh, Chris Gorn is their oh. engineering lead who, you, you know, from probably uh, panel, panel space. John. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He was with panels, wasn't he? Yes, and, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, he's, he's been he's all over the place, good. and everywhere he's been, he's been uh, a, yeah. an influence for good and positivity. Uh, they've, they've got a really good, strong engineering lineup there. Uh, let's move on to Jaguar Racing. Just a couple of wins in their 48 race outings for the Jaguar Racing team. A really important couple of wins as well. Uh, Sam Bird, another Brit, and another Kiwi, actually. Mitch Evans uh, in in that team. There was a thought we might have lost Jaguar, um, uh, if not uh, last season, at the end of last season, certainly coming into this one, Sam. Um, I, I, th- I, think, uh, I think Jaguar's commitment to Formula E has been been fairly, fairly consistent i think the big question is probably gen 3 where, where yeah. if they're going to take up gen 3 or not you know they're certainly committed to the end of, of season eight until this this present rule set um sam bird has joined the team one of the bigger signings in in formula e sam's the only driver to have won a race in every season which yeah. is remarkable uh, so he's always a threat sam bird's always a threat be really interesting to see how he and Mitch uh, get on, um, and they certainly do get on. They've known each other since uh, GP two days, uh, sort of six, seven years ago. But, of course, as we know, when things knuckle down and um, you're on the same piece of tarmac quite often in the same machinery, things can change pretty quickly. But I think both are professional enough to make that work. It's going to be fascinating to see who comes out on top on that because I think Evans, apart from what you call the big four now, which is Buemi, Degrassi, Verne and Da Costa, um, who are the champions. Mitch Evans is, you know, he's bubbling under there. He's he's ready for a title crack and he can win races. Uh, he knows how to win races in Formula E now. And I think what he hasn't been able to gauge yet is how to handle a really quick, consistently quick threat from a teammate. He's had, he's had Alex Lynn, who's been really good. And Nelson Piquet was, was good initially and then had a really bad season five. Um, and, and Adam Carroll made a great fist yeah. of it in season three, but it was early days for Jagger and it didn't quite work for him. So, yeah, Evans and Bird are going to be a sort of intra-team uh, uh, match to watch, certainly, this season. I think it's a really big season for Jaguar. I really do. With, with Sam uh, and uh, Mitch in the car, there's, there's no excuse on the driving talent whatsoever. Uh, and they'll have to be... Everybody is so good, as you've mentioned. They will have to be on their game in setup, in tactics, in the machinery, and I, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to see how the car. You know, I've owned Jags. I'm a big fan of Jaguar as a brand. Um, they are in transition at the moment as a as a car manufacturing 
uh, entity. And uh, I, I really hope they do well uh, this year. Um, Mahindra, we've talked about uh, Alexander Sims and Alex Lynn. I'm not sure there's much to add on that, Sam, unless you've got anything you feel you didn't mention earlier. No, not really. I think I think they'll be there or thereabouts. They could easily pick up uh, a win and, and some podiums. I think I think a top a top five in the team's championship is is doable for them this season. Right. And and race and race wins for for either of the the Alexis. Yeah, okay. I mean Sims has already done it. Lynn should have done it, but has been denied through things outside of his control. You know, I don't I don't think anyone who's watched sports cars or. Or followed Alex Lynn's career as ever, ever sort of uh, queried his, his pace or skill. Sure, sure. Mercedes Benz, uh, Mercedes Benz EQ, EQ being their uh, electric road car brand, and they've got this year Stoffel van Dorn and Nick de Vries. Yeah, strong, super strong. Uh, they had a really good finish to last season. Van Dorn won Mercedes' first. Race, uh, and so far was... only race actually, surprisingly. Yes. Yeah. yeah, well, it is uh, technically it was their first season, but they did have this kind of preparatory season in season five with HWA. Good point. Um, the, the team, the team is really, um, really strong. You know, they've they've bolstered a lot of their engineering lineup. Nick Chester has come across from the um, from the Renault F1 team. He's been at Enstone for I think well over a decade, and, and part of the furniture that he is now with. Mercedes driver lineup, yeah, again, top top notch. You know, Stoffel van Dorn has been terrific in his two seasons and deserved that win in Berlin. Nick de Vries, I thought, was the, the standout rookie of last season. He had some really bad luck, uh, but it, it never sort of got him down super, um, super fast and, and really close to, to van Dorn throughout most of the season, if not quicker on quite a few occasions uh, there it was hard to gauge at Valencia what they had because they just went through race day simulations so they were doing literally free practice qualifying race so it was super hard to know where they sit but I you know I, I expect them to be as as much if not more of a threat than last season uh, we will move on to Neo triple three racing uh, which uh, we, we've got to kind of go into that a little bit, where they've come from and and who they they are. Uh, Oliver Turvey and Tom Blomqvist, uh, two uh, an old British uh, team uh, of drivers, two wins, six podiums, and in some way, shape, or form, the team has been there for sixty nine uh, of the sixty nine races. Uh, and I say in some way, shape, or form, Sam, because we could have a whole special program on the development and the naming of that team over the last few years. Yeah, they've got quite a complex history. But actually, if you go back to season one, they were the inaugural champions. They were known as. Team China Racing back then. Nelson mm. Piquet Jr. won the title. It then morphed into uh, Neo, which is a, uh, a Chinese startup EV company, which is getting bigger and bigger every season. Um, it you know it, it got stuck a bit in I think sort of season four, season five. Well, then next Ev for a while as well. Co- correct. Yes, next mm. EV, next EV, next EV. And, and the, the, yeah. the guy who the guy who really brought that on board was a guy called Dr. Martin Leach, who uh, sadly is is no longer with us, but was a a big exec, uh, automotive exec with, I believe, Ford and Maserati, certainly. And then uh, went and lived in China and started up this this company, which is known today as NEO. Uh, the 333 bit comes from 
uh, Li Sheng Racing, which is a Shanghai-based um, motor racing company. I, I like to kind of think of them as the the Chinese Pro Drive. That's yeah. kind of the vibe that Very I get good. from from what they do. They um, they took over the company in the summer of 2019. It took a while to get every to get everything in place. They they did last season was always going to be very difficult. They had uh, they used some some aspects of Dragon's hardware for their powertrain. Uh, Oliver Turvey's been an ever present since the last race of season one. Would you believe at Battersea Park? And wow. I, I distinctly remember Oliver doing his seat fitting in the paddock because he I think he just hot footed it from Le Mans where he'd. Uh, had he won Le Mans that year with Jota? Maybe it was that year. Yeah. But either way, he came straight from Le Mans and did the Battersea race and has been one of the, he must get fed up of this tag, but one of the most sort of unsung, uh, consistently quick drivers in Formula E without the, the level of points or results success. You know, a second place at Mexico City in 2017 has been very much the highlight for Oliver and he deserves so much more. Uh, and is driving that team forward with Tom Blomqvist. You'd, you'd have to say they've probably got the best driver pairing they've had for many a year. And I think there's a lot of optimism there. Christian Silk, who's ex Williams, yep. is uh, is sort of leading the technical charge there, and they've invested in some some new engineering talent and a, a bit bit of a more refined structure. And I think, yeah, I think they will improve. That. that if they get into the midfield and they can mix it for consistent points positions, they they'll have done a great job. So uh, yeah, but it seems it seems to be certainly on the up. Uh, and is that still the the re effectively a rebadged uh, Penske uh, powertrain that they're using? Or oh, they've moved on now? Not not this season. No, they've got their own uh, their own package this season. Right. I mean, last last year's was. It, it was homologated as a neo package, but they used some different suppliers, including uh, including the ones that Penske had used. Um, this season, it's their it's their own it's their own powertrain. They got they started testing quite early, I think, in sort of August time. So that I think they've used most of their test days. So they should be on top of the performance of the car and the reliability. And again, both Oliver and Tom will be starting the season in the lower reaches of the qualifying group. So they should get uh, they should start the season off on on the right foot. Nissan Adams with uh, Ollie Rowland, Oliver Rowland, and Sebastian Buemi, the Anglo-Swiss, 22 and 23. 23 always the one of the Nissan numbers. It's a play on uh, Ni and San, which are the numbers two and three uh, for Nissan, obviously. Although 23 is not Nissan, Nissan in Japanese. This looks another strong lineup. you have to say. Yeah, I think along with Diaz Tachita, and Mercedes that that they will be um, they will be up there. I think Sebastian Buemi, his record in, in Formula E speaks for itself. He's one of the top performers. is is in everything he does. Uh, super dedicated, super focused, and a hard campaigner when it comes to street racing as well. He knows that car inside out. Now they're they're crossing over the season, so they're using last year's powertrain, which was quite late in development because it, it sort of came on the backlash of reverting from two MGUs to one MGU. Mm. So they've had a quite a long development on this, which made a lot of sense to start this season with last year's package. They're on top of it. They won with Oliver Rowland in Berlin. Uh, Sebastian has won a race in season five in New York. They're a great team. Again, so, so odd how to what you would 
on paper say diametrically opposed personalities and people get on so well. I mean, they are, they've got a really good relationship though. So yeah. I've written about this in the past. Talk about the odd couple of Formula E. These guys are like, I can't think of two more different characters, but they seem to work together really well. Um, yeah. The team itself, Edabs, Nissan Edabs, yeah. are the more successful in terms of of wins on the all-time state. 17 it is now with 37 podiums. They clearly know and they clearly have got their head around this form of racing. The, te- the team is really strong. You know, Dams and Edams, their their electric electric branch of, of racing, have got some top people, and they've they've added to that. They've got one of the um, one of the best engineers from Toyota in Cyril Jordan, who's joined as the sort of chief uh, engineering officer there. Francois Sicard uh, runs the team. Uh, Jean uh, Jean Paul Drio, dearly departed Jean Paul, his sons run the uh, the directors of the team, and. They've got a nice a nice setup there. Nissan, I believe Nissan are in it for the long haul. Yeah. Um, you know, they've got lots of products coming, electric products. It makes sense for them to keep going in Formula E. And I think, yeah, I think this, this could be Nissan's season. They've won a race each in the last two seasons, the first two of Gen 2. Um, and I think Buemi really fancies a crack at the title this season. Yeah. And don't rule out Oliver... Oliver Rowland, because when he gets going on a roll, as we saw in season five, you know, he I think he got three or maybe four pole positions in season five, and he is a difficult man to beat on on outright pace uh, on his day. Uh, moving from one of the most or the most successful teams to one of the lessest, but in fairness, Rocket Venturi Racing have got a win uh, to their name, and in some form or another, again, have been around uh, right since the very beginning. Uh, Monegasque Racing Team. Uh, Vonturi is still a car manufacturer. Um, Gildo Palanca Pasta uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio, of course, involved in this team uh, as well. Although not tra- not driving, everybody will be uh, pleased to know. But th- this this team then, uh, with their their driving lineup of Eduardo Mortara, another Swiss driver, and Nominato, the Frenchman, Sam. Yes, um, Venturi. Uh, uh, They've not, yeah, they've not, um, they've not got the results they should have done. Arguably, I think last season they probably had uh, at least the second best powertrain as a customer of of Mercedes, and, and really didn't make the most of it. Felipe Massa stops Formula E literally as he crossed the line in Berlin last year, and it just didn't work for for Massa. He um, he struggles to get Formula E just just to get it, just to understand what it was about and how to go about getting the best results. Uh, Mortara was pretty consistently quicker than him and got the more, more results. Mortara is an interesting case. I think, you know, he's got the capacity to spring a surprise. He did so in Hong Kong in season in season five, albeit slightly by default when Sam Bird was penalised when he crossed the line first. I think, I think actually they... They could they could be a dark horse for the for the occasional podium and, and, and crack at victory. Mortara's experienced enough. Unfortunately, he does get involved in quite a few skirmishes on track, so he's got to try and eradicate that as much as he can. It can be pretty self defeating. Norman Nato, Nato Nato. You say Nato, I say Nato. <laughs> but Norman, um, I spoke to him yesterday. Actually, yeah, he. I, I, I think he could be a really good, consistent point scorer for Venturi, uh, who have gone through a bit of a 
change around Ambrosio now is the the sporting manager there working with Susie Wolf, of course, who mm-hmm. stays as team principal. They've got some new investors as well, some some private investors. So yeah, pretty healthy on and off the track. They they should have a they should have a decent season. And look, if they get in the top five or top six in the teams championship, they've done a good job. Uh, no wins for Tag Heuer Porsche in the early stages of their Formula E uh, 4A. Uh, just 11 races completed, but they have got a couple of podiums, including uh, in their first outing. Uh, Andre Lotterer and Pascal Verline, 36 and numbers 99. Yeah. I, they need a win this year, don't they, Porsche, in that 99X? They, they've got to win. They've got to win this season. They've got to get a race win. They've got a pole. Um, they've got a podium. They did that in their first race, in fact. And, and then Lotterer got a pole in Mexico City they were very uh, conservative last year in terms of their expectations and aims and objectives you know they've got to be a bit more bold this year I think in in what they can expect they've got a very strong uh, technical department there's some great engineers Fabrice Roussel manages Lotero but familiar to to sports car fans with Rebellion Racing Uh, Kyle Wilson-Clark we all know Kyle from, from his days working with Audi and then Porsche so they've got they've got a nice setup there. Pascal Verline replaces Neil Jani. Jani will stay as a as a reserve driver, which is a really smart move for the team. Very good idea. I, I think I think I can't see many weaknesses. They showed some good pace in Valencia. I'm told that their testing has gone has gone well. They're confident. I expect Porsche to be uh, yeah to be certainly achieving that first win this season, whether it's with Lotterer or Verline. Take your pick. Has Verline got something to prove as well this year after the machinations that we we spoke about earlier uh, of last year? Yeah, absolutely has. You know, he's um, he's 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 an interesting character, Pascal. (laughs) I I I really like I really like him actually. He he comes with a certain degree of of baggage, and I'm not sure quite why, but some people are certainly wary of him. And you know, I think he is. He's been a bit of an enigma in, in racing over the years. And he's come into Formula E, and he was super quick in the first season with Mahindra. Not not so great last season, although though he did get a couple of results. He was ultimately slightly stifled by the issues that Mahindra had. And then, you know, he, he went through this breakup, which was seemed to be completely self-inflicted by uh, not addressing the fact that he'd been made this offer and was going to take it from Porsche in quite the correct manner, shall we say, and then was, you know, was was terminally benched by Dilbag Gill. Mm. That apart, fresh start, Porsche manufacturer. He's got a long long term deal there. He's got a great teammate in in Andre Lotterer, an apolitical teammate. So yeah, he, sh- he should he should flourish, and I can see him. Yeah. I can see him returning to that season five, Verline, and, and challenging for wins. Uh, he, he's got his work cut out with with Lotterer as his his teammate to shine. I mean, he he, he had uh, Rio Harianto, didn't he? Um, at uh, when he was in his Formula days, and then Esteban Ocon gave him a bit of a hard workout. Let's not forget though, when he won the DTM title uh, years ago, he was only twenty. And he'd won a race the previous year, and I think they are both still the 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 youngest two. Dot dot dot. Uh, you don't just forget how to be a racing driver. I don't believe, and I, I I absolutely agree with you, Sam, on other things getting into his head. I I still think he is a very very good racing driver. If he listens to Lotterer and he allows himself to learn, I think Andre could teach him an awful lot about 
everything. Maybe not the physicality of driving, but just about the attitude of, of going forward. I think this could be a really big season for Pascal Verlaine. I think you've got to be careful what Andre Lostra teaches you. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, we, we, have had a few, we have had a few um, sk- uh, nights out and various things with Andre. He's a good lad. I like Andre a lot. Got a good. He's got a very, very good uh, and very, in some ways, British sense of humour. I like being with Lotter a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the track, on the track, certainly, um, Pascal can can learn quite a lot from him, and it'd be wise to do that. You know, I looked at the how old they are. So I think Verlaine's twenty, just twenty seven. If I'm not, if I'm twenty six or twenty six, twenty six at the moment. Twenty six. Yeah. There's fourteen years between them, between him and Lotterer. Can you believe Lotterer is? 40 no, this year. Because I Is still think already? Him, I, I already think of him as a still a relatively young man, but I've had this conversation with many racing drivers in the last few years where I think I still think of them as the kids in the paddock yeah. uh, and, and realise that they've, they've been around for 20 years and they yeah. are in fact one of the, the elder statesmen now, which makes me feel very, very old indeed. Right, head on the block then. If I had to ask you now, um, it's uh, who is going to win the championship in terms of drivers. Can you give us a couple or three that we think will be fighting out of? And, 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 you know, is there going to be a dominant team? We've we've talked about all the reasons why they shouldn't be, but could there be? First rule of Formula E, don't make predictions. Um, Thank you. What a great show. (laughs) Uh, Look, looking at it, looking at it dispassionately, I think, I think the form that um, Antonio Felix da Costa yeah. showed last season could he not easily, but he could be a double champion this time next year. No, no doubts about that. The really interesting thing to watch is going to be how his relationship with Jean Eric Verne pans out in this second season. Verne Verne got a little bit addled by da Costa last season, rattled. The great thing about Formula E, by the way, is for listeners who haven't watched a race before, there is an app where you can listen to all of the team radio, right? So you can dip into the team radio. And in Berlin, I listened to Vern, and he, you know, there were stages of that race where he, you know, he lost it. And Da Costa got inside his head. And whether whether Vern can can stymie that that kind of volatility uh, when the adrenaline's pumping, I don't know, but you, you listen to someone like Max Gunter um, on the radio, and he is like, uh, you know, he's, he, he could be he could be listening to a bit of Beethoven or something and just chilling out. He's just super relaxed and calm. But that's that's what's great about racing, isn't it? You've got so many different characters. One of the key stories is going to be the Vern and Da Costa battle because DS to Cheetah are going to be up there. They're going to be quick, and it's just a case of if they can, you know, if they can choreograph things to suit the team which they did to, to some extent last season if that can be done successfully and they've got a clear line of communication with both drivers and the both drivers keep their relationship professional and cordial it could be really good but really interesting to see who comes out outsiders john out, well, not outsiders but other people who could win the championship there's a pool of honestly there's probably a pool of a dozen yeah. that could be champion yeah. how really important is. is it to get a good start to a season where we don't know how long the season's going to be well that's a good question because <laughs> we had this in, in some two world motorsport last year when we were doing yeah. the previews and subsequently the reviews you know uh, we, we weren't sure when the season was going to end so p- point, points on the board again go back to stick and ball sports but points on the board are going to be even more important than ever this year aren't they well, yeah, absolutely. And, and going back to what Alexandra and I talked about in the first part of the show, 
you know, Formula E has got this qualifying format of whereby, you know, if you're on Alexander Sims, like last season, you win in Diria and leading the championship, you're automatically in the first qualifying group, which gets the worst track conditions in qualifying for the next race. So, interestingly, looking at Diria, the first qualifying session in group four, so the, the, the final group, which theoretically should have the best qualifying conditions, you've got in that group uh, two rookies who, in Jake Dennis, well, three, Jake Dennis, Norman Nato, and, um, and Nick Cassidy. Now, look, I'm not saying Nato hasn't got the same chance, because he has, and he could spring a surprise. But I think with the cars and the technical setup that BMW and Envision Virgin have, that there is a good shout for saying that Jake Dennis and Nick Cassidy have got a really good chance of getting at least a podium in their first Formula E race. Now, the teams and the drivers will dampen that and say, oh, no, no, they're not experienced. It's not going to happen. It could easily happen. It could easily happen. That's the great thing about Formula E. I can't wait for the season to kick off first uh, two races under the lights uh, in Riyadh at the Riyadh Circuit, Saudi Arabia. Uh, Sam, thank you very much indeed for spending a couple of hours on a Tuesday evening uh, with us here. The show will be available as an archived item as well. And particular thanks to Alexander Sims who joined us for the first part of the show and a very busy time. Uh, keep up with uh, all Sam's musings on Formula E and other forms of motorsport as well over on the race and we'll ask you if you don't mind Sam to drop in through the rest of the year over on Midweek Motorsport. It's going to be a cracking season the Formula E the now World Championship ABB Formula E season for 2021. Thanks for being with us. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.